Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. This segment of the show is brought to you by the Values Institute and features Chris Mercer of MercerCapital.com. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a great honor to have you on the show. We really appreciate it. We're going to talk about um, how to value a business and your passion for working with business owners to facilitate ownership and management transitions. And Chris, since I've known you, you've been a thought leader in this area, so I'm really happy to have you on here on the show to talk about this. Well, thanks so much. Uh, one of the things that we like to start with uh, is just to give our listeners a little bit of a sense of your background and prefer- your professional history. So could you uh, tell us a few words about yourself? I started Mercer Capital uh, 1982. We've been a business valuation and financial advisory firm since then. I, I did the necessary uh, school thing prior to that, uh, got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. and. Uh, along the way have uh, acquired uh, appropriate certifications, the ASA uh, uh, certification, the CFA certification, and the ABAR, or Accredited in Business Appraisal Review certification. Uh, but that's a quick, quick overview of, mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. And how about your your background with uh, Mercer Capital? You, you've been, you've been found, you were founded in June 1982, right? Yes. Uh, we were founded in, in 1982 with the idea of growing into a firm specializing in business valuation. I had the idea at that time that there was a business to be developed. Uh, we actually were a consulting firm more than a valuation firm for uh, going on five years, but by 1987 we had worked our way through um, uh, basically being a financial consulting firm for banks. And by 1987, we had become a full-fledged uh, business valuation and financial advisory firm. As that, we provide independent business valuation and financial advisory services to clients in a broad range of industries throughout the U.S. and, uh, interestingly, increasingly abroad. We've developed a number of niche practices in banks, asset managers, trust companies, heavy equipment dealers, veterinary practices, believe it or not, mm-hmm. investment funds, and several others. So uh, we've been at it now for quite a while. Uh, going back to personally, I, I've, I've had a keen interest in buy-sell agreements and ownership and management transition for business owners for some time. Uh, I, I, it, it's my belief that uh, the buy-sell agreement is the first step in ownership transition because it sets your transition autopilot in place. And you sure want that thing, which can happen to anyone at any time, to be right uh, while you're thinking about an orderly transition that so many of your guests have spoken about. And that's that's an area that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. I mean, they usually have something like a well, here's what happens if we die, here's what happens if we become totally disabled, but there's a lot of situations that are overlooked often in a buy-sell. Is that your yes. experience? Yes. In- interestingly, people think about a buy-sell agreement as uh, something t- for uh, primarily for death, 
but death, if you think about it, if there were three or four of us getting a business together, death is the least likely event that's going to happen to one of us. More likely one of us will be disabled or divorced or uh, get uh, a wild idea that we want to go off and do something else or, you know, anything can happen and, and all of those things need to be thought about in the context of the buy-sell agreement. Uh, I've written a buy-sell agreement checklist that's uh, available to people that uh, at, at chrismercer.net that uh, would be a good starting point for people to think about that. And we'll certainly make that available. It's, it is excellent. Um, and I've been reading your books about buy-sell agreements for years. And Chris, you, you just have so many concepts that are valuable for business owners that we want to talk about. What's going on in the valuation industry these days? Are there any emerging trends that you're seeing? Bill, the, the, the most emerging trend or the biggest emerging trend that I see in valuation today relates to business valuation standards. There is a growing focus on having appraisers provide standards compliant valuations that, that meet minimum, minimum standards. Uh, I served as the chair of the Business Valuation Standards Subcommittee of the American Society of Appraisers for a number of years, and, and I currently serve on the professional board of the International Valuation Standards Council. The, uh, the international valuation standards that they create are uh, standards that most of the organizations in the country will be harmonizing toward, is, a, is, is I guess the best way I could say that. But there's going to be, I think you'll see, uh, an increasing focus on business valuation standards and enhancing and improving the quality of the work and the reliability of the work from the point of view of users of appraisal reports. Now, is that because it's just gotten to be too too much of an art and that appraisers are varying widely between what one will say of a business or, or asset is worth versus another? Well, uh, that's a good point because valuation has been uh, called both an art and a science. I, I think it really boils down to the fact that we, we're a young industry. If you think about it, prior to the 1980s, valuation scarcely existed as any kind of a formal uh, profession. After maybe 30 years or so now of developing, I think people, uh, just like in other professions, are realizing that we have to focus on standards, we have to focus on quality, and we have to raise the minimum bar for operation uh, in a particular field. I, I think it's just an, ordin an, an, an evolutionary thing, Bill. I, I tend to agree with you, and we have a lot of, of course, baby boomers, age 50-plus business owners are saying, you know, if I ever want to sell this thing, I, I really need to work on growing the value of my business. And some people would say, well, the value is just like your house. It's really what a willing buyer is going to pay you as a willing seller. But that's really not the case uh, when it comes to negotiating in certain types of transactions. Is that, is that fair to say, Chris? That, that's fair to say. Uh, it's, it's one thing to say that uh, your value is worth what a willing buyer and a willing seller will pay. But uh, think that uh, that same willing buyer and same willing seller won't pay the same thing in 2008 as they will in 2012 or 2014, because in 2008 the world was full of uncertainty that uh, caused financing to dry up and it was enormously difficult to sell. Mm -hmm. 
we have uh, you know a variety of kinds of situations and, and some of our listeners some of your listeners that are listening to this and, and other sessions uh, need to think about the fact that they need to be thinking of an orderly transition of management and ownership because Bill things happen in life bad things happen to uh, good people and bad things happen to good companies and when bad things happen to your company you lose all flexibility in terms of ownership and management transition so take care of those things now while you can that's my message uh, that's a great message to build a, a business that is transitionable because without that that orderly transfer things can fall apart and of course you know I didn't mean to say that there's only one reason to, to value a business and that is for the sale of it there are a lot of situations that require a value based on an event it could be death it could be taxes it could be divorce it could be a number of different reasons and I, I can fully appreciate the need to have standards that practitioners follow to come up with those uh, a pretty close range of valuations in those situations exactly so there's there's a ton of reasons to to understand um, how your valuation is determined and then perhaps if you are in the mode of growing your business you can work on those factors that are drive that will typically drive the value of your business Chris let's talk about the difference between a a uh, a buyer who has a somebody a buyer comes to a seller and says I want to buy your business and I'm looking at it as my new job it's going to be my new business and I'm going to run it and I'm going to make some money off of it versus a, a large company in the industry that comes to a a small niche player and says I want to buy you guys because it's going to fit it's going to complete the puzzle that we're looking to complete and we want to buy you on a strategic basis how wide a variety of valuation have you seen between those two situations financial versus strategic well the guy who wants to buy a job is probably buying a relatively small business and that uh, uh, to the extent that your uh, listeners have time the best idea is to grow the business to the point where it will be large enough to be of interest to a financial buyer, a private equity firm, or another person in business already, because the kind of buyer that's trying to buy a job may well have a hard time financing the business, and you're probably going to be asked to finance it for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas that strategic guy that comes along, or the strong financial buyer that comes along, can pay uh, the price, the value of the business today in cash, or in, in, in some kind of uh, cash plus an earnout or whatever works, whatever gets negotiated. But uh, those kinds of buyers, in my experience, are much preferable to the kind of guy that's trying to buy a job. So for um, an owner out there who is saying, okay, well, I want to be the latter. I want to be a strategic purchase. Um, the key is, well, you better start understanding what a strategic buyer is looking for and put some money into your business uh, in the right way so that it is easily transferable to that strategic buyer for top price. Exactly. A strategic buyer is going to want to buy a company or a privately owned company. I, I call them closely held or family businesses because it has a brand, uh, it has a niche uh, that the 
the uh, strategic wants to be in. It has a product that fits nicely into the suite of products that the strategic guy has, or uh, they have the ability to strip out lots of overhead and make a lot of money uh, very quickly. So uh, the strategic guy has a pretty good idea, whether they execute well or not, he's got a pretty good idea of what he's trying to do. And so if you, I mean, obviously the highest prices in the sale of businesses tend to go to strategic buyers. I guess the highest prices go to irrational buyers. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I've always said, you know, if I, if I want to sell the business to an outside group, uh, then what I want is an irrational buyer. I don't want fair market. <laughs> I like that. We're talking with Chris Mercer of MercerCapital.com. And, Chris, when we come back, we're going to ask you for a client story or two and some tips and ideas and precautions for our listeners. We'll be right back. Does your company need professional valuation advisory or financial advisory services? Since 1982, Mercer Capital has been bringing uncommon professionalism, intellectual rigor, technical expertise, and superior client service to a broad range of public and private companies and financial institutions located throughout the world. Our clients include private and public operating companies, financial institutions, asset holding companies, high net worth families, and private equity and hedge funds. For information, contact Christopher Mercer at 901 That's 901-685-2120. Want to grow the value of your company? Start with the values of your company. To stand out in today's overly commoditized world, your company must stand for something bigger than what you make. That's the work of Values Institute. Our social science model of values-based culture development will help you grow the value of your company by growing trust, your most valuable corporate asset. To learn more about our proprietary process, visit thevaluesinstitute.org and start growing the value of your business today. Welcome back, friends. Just a reminder that we've interviewed dozens of advisors on a wide variety of topics, and you'll find all of their interviews and highlights online at exacoachradio.com or on iTunes at itunes.exacoachradio.com. And I'm talking with Chris Mercer from Mercer Capital. And Chris, before the break, we talked about the different methods of valuation from uh, financial to strategic to irrational. <laughs> I like that term. So what are, what are some of your favorite client relationships, Chris? My my favorite client relationship is one that uh, uh, the ones that are my favorites today are the ones that started uh, 25 years ago or 20 years ago, and where we've been able to grow as the clients have grown over a period of years, working with them on an annual or even more frequent basis to conduct valuations where they needed valuation work or to provide opinion work where they were engaged in transactions where we are engaged with that client over a a long period of time. And my next favorite clients are the ones that we're developing now that will fall into that mode. So uh, we think that, you know, we think we do a good job and, and I personally really enjoy those kinds of relationships. So from my standpoint, that's the kind of client that I hope to develop. Well, you know, I've I've read your materials and we've talked over the years and you just have some great ideas. Uh, so let's talk about your the book Buy Sell Agreements for Closely Held and Family Business Owners. Uh, what is what can an owner a business owner expect to walk away 
uh, from after reading that book? If a business owner or a business advisor reads that book, Buy Sell Agreements for Closely Held and Family Business Owners, you'll work, you should walk away as a business owner with the idea of, oh my goodness, I had better get my buy sell agreement out. I better get my professional team together and review this thing. I better talk with my, my fellow shareholders so that we can fix the mess that's here. And I, and I say fix the mess that's here because, Bill, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, I've seen two or three buy-sell agreements that would really work if triggered. Oh, wow. So almost all of them that you've looked at have some kind of a mess in them. Most all of them, and most the messes are typically they do not treat important things. Uh, for example, you mentioned disability a little while ago. Well, it's one thing to have disability as a trigger event, but a buy-sell agreement that doesn't have a definition of what disability means in the buy-sell agreement is a ticking time bomb. It, it's one thing to say that uh, uh, in the event of a, the death or departure of a shareholder that one side will pick one appraiser and the other side will pick another appraiser, and if their conclusions are within 10% of each other, then, well, they never are. So the two then have to select a third appraiser. If the language in the buy-sell agreement is not clear about what kind of value they're talking about, then the valuation process will be a disaster. And in most buy-sell agreements, because they were done a long time ago, because the language of valuation has changed, because the intent of the parties has changed, or for a variety of reasons, chances are the language in that valuation, that buy-sell agreement, won't work. Mm -hmm. I can give you a, a, a clear example. Uh, a few years ago, I was retained as the third appraiser in a, in a situation. The first appraiser valued the company based upon language in the agreement at the non-marketable minority level, as an illiquid minority interest. The second appraiser, looking at that same language, valued it at a strategic control level. Now, the only thing that they agreed on was that I would be the third appraiser and I read the language of the agreement, it said that my conclusion is binding. I spent an enormous amount of time interpreting the language, wrote 10 or 12 pages, finally realizing that my conclusion was it's financial control. The first one valued it at 60, the second one at 140. I valued it at 105. Everybody was mad at me. Nobody was happy. None of those people have ever called me again, but it did resolve the situation. But it could have been so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by getting by deeper the language. by the language. Yes. And, you know, it's been said that the, the valuation of a business uh, sometimes depends on the reason for the valuation, who's asking for it, and what the situation is. Is that a, is that a true statement? That's exactly right. Let's, uh, let's say that you and I are going into business. Now, let's say you and I and one other person are going into business, and we each own one-third, 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 and we put up each one-third of the money. If the buy-sell agreement says the appraiser shall value the interest, which would be one-third, do valuation discounts come into play? Well, uh, according to that language, yes. But if you talked about it when everyone was in the here and now, then no one ever would have agreed to a discounted value. Mm -hmm. Neither would either of any of us have agreed to a strategic value. We would have agreed to a financial value or the same kind of value that we went into the deal on in together. Because when one of us goes to the hereafter, 
we can't talk anymore. Right. The, the interests of the parties diverge, and disaster is uh, uh, coming. So there may be, in a buy-sell agreement, multiple um, reasons or triggers for valuation, and so they may need to have multiple um, uh, qualifications or, or valuation um, stipulations built into a buy-sell agreement. Uh, two that might be in a, in a family situation, some buy-sell agreements have something like this. In the event of the death of a shareholder, the value would be a pro rata of the value, pro rata share of the value of the enterprise, financial control. If anyone else wants to sell or leave the business, it might be at a discounted value. But that has to be agreed to on the front end so that everybody knows the rules. Because if everybody doesn't know the rules and they are not crystal clear in the agreement, rest assured, when the interest of the parties diverge, one side wants a low value, the other side wants a high value, and uh, there will be a valuation dispute and maybe a legal dispute as well. So, Chris, we just have a minute or two left. Can you give our listeners a couple tips or ideas or precautions? Sure. If, if you're a business owner, get your buy-sell agreement out of the file or the vault and read it. Have your advisors, including a business valuation expert, read it with you, and then take the steps necessary to fix it. If you're a business advisor, you'll do your clients a service by asking them to work with you to examine and update their buy-sell agreements. Be part of the solution and fix the problem. And if you're a business advisor, begin to initiate conversations with your aging clients. That's those baby boomers that you talk about, I talk about, and the over 50 that you talk about regarding the inevitable ownership and management transitions they're facing. Those conversations will open up opportunities for new business for you while greatly helping your clients. Those would be three quick tips. Chris Mercer, I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on the show, and it's, it's wonderful to talk with you. You're also available for speaking engagements, and you do a great job with that as well. right? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, best way is uh, mercerc at mercercapital.com. mercerc at mercercapital.com. I would suggest also that uh, anyone might uh, look at my blog at chrismercer.net where I have an ongoing conversation with business owners about ownership and management transitions. And we mentioned your book, uh, Buy Sell Agreements for Closely Held and Family Business Owners, available on Amazon and at your website as well, right? Yes. And also your Buy Sell Checklist, which is excellent. Anyone who is pulling out that Buy Sell Agreement would do themselves well by, by pulling out that checklist and going through each of those uh, steps to see if they're well planned in that area. Exactly. Thanks very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Hope you'll come back again sometime soon. Uh, ask me, I'll come back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. I've been talking with Chris Mercer, uh, Mercer Capital, excuse me, dot com. And uh, my friends, that's going to do it for our show today. I want to thank you for listening in. Hope you heard something that will help you in some way with your future planning. And a big thank you to my guests and our sponsors. And I'd also like to thank our station engineer, Paul Roberts, who has done his usual outstanding job at the board and octalkradio.net for hosting us at their beautiful tech space studios. Remember, we update content daily, so please visit us often and tell your friends to find us at exitcoachradio.com or on iTunes at itunes.exitcoachradio.com. We're here to help you, our hero, the private business owner with tips, ideas, and precautions so that you are well-planned. 
At ExitCoachRadio.com, we're interviewing over 100 top advisors to get you one-minute tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new content daily at 6 a.m. and 1 p.m. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 